0: Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. As you're turning there, um, Chris has not quit us. Uh, He wasn't here last week. He was preaching at another church. Um, And then today is his mother's birthday. And um, this is the first surprise birthday party they've ever done for her. And they literally called her work to get her off of work. She had no idea. And he was so excited to be able to... Uh, to just shower his mom with um, just love and the presence of all of her children. And um, so when he t- talked to me about being off, I was like, absolutely. Uh, and now I'm like, what was I thinking? Uh, man, he's put me to work the last couple of weeks. But uh I'm looking forward to him being back, and he'll be preaching next week and uh, several times forward. So... Uh, But I'm so excited about (laughs) I'm going to make him pay for it. Um, I really am excited about this text, I promise. So let's look at it now. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And then down to uh, verse twenty two. to the baby of the silent night. Of that night that was more holy than we can possibly grasp. And the fact that holiness could be in the face and the backdrop of silence. Is something we need to hear in the church today. So God I pray by your spirit and through your word that you would shut us up that we might sit at the feet of Jesus, that we might drink in his wealth. Oh, would you make us rich this morning by bringing us down? God, would you just deal with the idols of our hearts, our reputation, our image, our money, our fame, Help us, Lord Jesus, to see you and to see you only. And we pray in your name. Amen. The point of this text is clear. God came to a poor couple. It, it, it was probably more clear to those reading it for the first time. Um, because when they read it, they would see that there was no room in the inn. But in their culture, like all of our cultures, there's never no room in an inn. Uh, there's always room for who: the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, the beautiful. Uh, yeah, you think they couldn't find a room if they had money? Do you think they couldn't find a room if they were higher up in the, the lineage line of David? Yeah, I think they could probably find a room if they were somebody, but the reality is they were nobody. You see it in the swaddling cloths. Now, <clears throat> it was customary then to do what's customary now. It went out for a time, but it's back in, and that is wrapping a baby as tightly as possible in a blanket. And yet Jesus didn't have a blanket. His parents only had cloths, just cloths that they could find around, that they could kind of piece together and wrap around him to you know, to do the best that they could. And then you have the manger. Uh, boy, it sounds so sterile, but it's anything but. Uh, there was no crib, and so they had to use a food trough. If you've ever seen a donkey or a horse or a pig eat, it's just not pretty. It's not a place that you want to be laid. You know, it's it's nasty. And then you have the sacrifice in verses 22 through 24. These were the sacrifices of the poor. Leviticus 5, 7 says this. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb... See, a lamb is, is anybody... Most people could afford a lamb to bring, but anyone who cannot afford a lamb to bring... Uh, they're to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin. One for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. They were poor. They were economically poor, but they were also poor because of their youth. I went to uh, Danita Calhoun runs. It's called the Young Lives Ministry. Uh, they're in a few. They're in three different high schools around downtown Manassas, I believe, Douglas Uh, And there's one more, Kingsbury. Yeah, Kingsbury. And um, they had their Christmas banquet this past week. And Rachel and I went. And to sit around the room and to look at these young mothers, teen mothers, it, it just, you realize how vulnerable a teen mom is. It brought back a lot of memories. Rachel and I, or she was pregnant. We were together at 18, and she gave birth to Whitney when she was 19. We were both 19. We know what it means to be in that vulnerable state, to to not just be vulnerable economically, though we were, but to be vulnerable because you're young and you haven't lived much life and you don't know how to do it. You don't know how to do marriage. You don't know how to face the being ostracized by your Christian community because um, you're pregnant out of wedlock. You don't know how to how to provide for yourself, how to how to maneuver the the different challenges that come your way as a young couple, especially being thrust into how you're married and now you're having a baby. It's tough and you're vulnerable, and that's the family that Jesus came to. That's the context that Jesus came to. This is where Jesus came into this world. In the most vulnerable place possible, a teenage couple that didn't know what in the heck they were doing. And so the message is clear. The message that God wants us to hear. Is this, I come to the poor. I come to the poor. That beautiful. God is a God for the poor. We see it here in the birth narrative, but we see it throughout all of Scripture. It's what Jesus said in his sermon, uh, when he, in, in, the, in the Beatitudes, when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are the ones that receive the kingdom of heaven. In First Peter 5, 5, Peter tells us, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he states it negatively in Matthew chapter nineteen, twenty-four, where he said, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because wealth can create a dependence and a love for wealth as opposed to Jesus. And that's the whole point. And so how do we get this Jesus that comes to the poor? I think first we have to see, number one, that you have to be poor to receive Jesus. Joseph and Mary were in a tough bind. They were in the most vulnerable state. And yet let's kind of expand this out a little bit. I mean, think about uh, you girls, you think about getting married. You dream about it from early on. Guys, not so much. But then you get married, guys, and it kind of all gets hit you in the face. Oh, this is what marriage is about. And then you freak out and it's a frantic, you know, I gotta catch up, you know. Mary had been dreaming of the perfect wedding, the perfect marriage. She had found the perfect man, Joseph. They were righteous in God's sight. And yet now they are thrust into being the object of scorn, They couldn't go in public without anybody not looking at them and just kind of that little stare. And even when they went in public and maybe nobody was staring at them, maybe nobody knew that she was pregnant, she still felt as if they were looking at her, ever been there? And yet, why was she in this state? Because God put her there. You know, we like a God that allows things to happen. But we don't necessarily embrace a God that causes things to happen like this. The only reason that Mary and Joseph were having the crisis that they were having, the only reason that their lives were turned upside down, never to go back to the simplicity of life as they knew it, is because of God. And yet what God was doing is he was showing us and showing them that only the poor get Jesus. Only the poor get Jesus. You have to be poor in order to get Jesus. There's no other way. And so what seemed like a trial, what seemed like God's punishment at times, what seemed very cruel in moments was nothing like that. It was the blessing of God because what God was doing was stripping everything away so that they could receive Jesus. And friends, that's what he's doing in your life and mine. Do you want to know what he's about in your life? Do you want to know what he's doing? Do you want to know why you're struggling? Do you want to know why things are going? Because he is after you to make you poor so that he can give you Jesus. There's no other way the Christian life works. Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said this. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Brennan Manning, uh, who is in recovery and part of the recovery community, said this. He said, for the disciple of Jesus, becoming like a little child means the willingness to accept oneself as being of little account and to be regarded as unimportant. Do You hear that? To become like a little child is to get to the point where you're willing to be unimportant. Now, what does God have to do to get you to the point where you're willing to be unimportant? He has to do a lot in my life, and I have a feeling he has a lot to do in your life, too. I love what C.S. Lewis had to say. We've read it numerous times, but it's so good. This is how he describes the Christian life. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not that surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense to you. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here and putting on an extra floor there, running up towers and making courtyards. See, here's the problem. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and he intends to live in it himself. That's the Christian life. I don't know what you think it is, but that's it. And so you're not going to get Jesus. He's going to make no sense to you. He's going to seem very far away from you and kind of on the surface of your heart until you understand He is trying to take you down to lift your head up to see where your real wealth comes from and real life comes from. Only the poor receive Jesus. But secondly, you have to remain poor to keep receiving Jesus. I've never done this, but I, I, I did a... A study of Mary this week. And let's just think about Mary for a moment. I've, uh, you know, any mother, I mean, I, I've watched Rachel and I've, I've seen uh, Whitney and, you know, uh, this is her last Sunday to sing because she looks like she's about to give birth because she is about to give birth. I'm worried every time she sings now that, uh, anyway, I won't, I won't go on. But, um, I mean, you can see the, it's so fun to watch a mom who is pregnant because the excitement is there. The longing, the hoping, the dreams. You know that's what's going on with Mary. And and we see it. She's a mom, but she's the mom of God. Listen, if you will, to Luke chapter 1. Listen to her song in verse 46 and following. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. See, she's laid low that she might be risen high. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Can you only imagine what it was like to know that not only you're having a baby, but you're having the the, the baby that is from God himself. You are literally going to give birth to God. I think this was probably Mary's conversion in a sense. I mean, look at this. It has all the elements. There's humility. She knows that she doesn't deserve this. And there's great praise. It's all praise to you. You have laid me low that God might be lifted high. We know that Mary's life will never be the same we see it in her song and we see it in her joy. But I want to fast forward from there to John chapter 19. There's an eerie silence among and on the part of Mary and on the part of the biblical writers from the birth narrative really forward when it comes to Mary, the mother of Jesus. But it doesn't mean she was there. I think it just means that her faith became more silent and yet more real. John 19, verses 25 through 27. Standing by the cross of Jesus. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother, And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Utter joy in the song of Mary to utter silence, standing by the cross. Can you only imagine as a mom? Can you imagine? Some of you can, because some of you have lost children. (laughs) Some of you can do more than imagine. That's where Mary was. Mary was watching her son being accused of false things, being tried and then being beat and spit on and cast out. He's carrying his own cross up to um, the hill where he will be crucified. And Mary watches it all because that's what mothers do. You see, when a child suffers, the mother doesn't run. The, the mother runs to the pain, not away. Because when a child is hurting, a mother is hurting. That's what we see here. Mary is by the cross when no one else was willing to be. And then he's raised and then he ascends into heaven. And you know, that was kind of a downturn for the church. There are 144 disciples in the upper room and guess who one of them is? Acts chapter 1 verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary's there. Mary's there. And all we can think is that at some point in her life, maybe it was at the birth, maybe that was young faith that this is the Messiah, or maybe it was at the cross, or maybe it was every day in between. We don't know, but what we do know is this. Is that Mary went from this rejoicing, outward, singing woman to a woman who stood quietly by at the cross and said, that's my son. And you can't drive me away from this cross. And then she was there risking her life, still willing to be associated with the disciples because she was the disciple too. She was a follower of Jesus. And yet he had from earthly, from an earthly perspective, Jesus had ruined her life. Nothing had given her more headache, more heartache than Jesus. And yet Jesus is more to her than anyone. That's what the Christian life looks like, friends. We come to Jesus by faith and we say yes to Jesus and say, you are the very essence of life and I'm a sinner and I deserve nothing. And then we walk with Jesus and in the midst of walking with Jesus and going to be with Jesus, he is constantly owning our hearts over and over. Sometimes he's taking things from us that we would never choose to be taken away from us. Sometimes he's killing dreams that would only destroy us. I don't know what it looks like for you. I can only tell you what it looks like for me. But at the end of every dashed dream is Jesus. When I was that 19-year-old, 18-year-old, when Rachel and I were those 18, 19-year-old pregnant and not married teenagers, Jesus was there. In fact, that's how I've gotten to know him maybe better than any other thing in my life. You see, Jesus is about making us poor that we might be rich. And then finally, Jesus' love is the wealth that meets us at our poverty. It's not your circumstances. That's not how God is going to ultimately give you the best that he has for you. It's not your circumstances. If you're single, it's not getting you married. If you're married, it's not... Giving you a different spouse. If it's, you're poor, it's not giving you money. If it's, it's by giving you him. Because his love is the real wealth. Did you see that video? Um, it was going on around social media this week. Um, this, this woman was at the, uh, layaway counter at Walmart. And if you've ever done layaway, you know, the only reason you do layaway is because you don't have the money to pay for it. All right? And so this woman had done layaway at Walmart, all you know, gifts for her children, and I don't know who else. And she's at the counter, and you could see it in her face. She she's she she still doesn't have all the money she needs to get uh, to buy the presents out of layaway. And so she's having to make that tough decision: what do I give back? Who gets disappointed this year? And in the midst of that, Tim Tebow comes rushing in. This is a true story. Uh, Tim Tebow comes in and pays the debt. It's kind of funny when I say it like that, but uh, uh, yeah, Tim Tebow comes and pays, and the, the scene is beautiful. I mean, the woman goes crazy. She's weeping. She's screaming. She's hollering. She's dancing. Why? Because wealth has met her at the point of her poverty and death. Dear friends, that's why God is at work in your life and mine. Not to give us maybe the dreams that we have, or maybe to give us the dreams that we have only to leave us more empty than when we were dreaming. Why? To show us that he is the real dream. Because you see, there's no other life outside of him. We can numb ourselves. We can prolong the journey, but we can't replace Jesus. And that's a living reality You see, wealth cannot come to the one who's already rich. Forgiveness cannot come to the righteous. Hope cannot come to the powerful. Love cannot come to one who thinks he already has it. That's why I spend so much time in marriage counseling, premarital counseling, trying to convince the young couple that the other person is not the answer to their longings. Jesus is. And if you settle for another human being, as the essence of your longing, you are settling way below than what you've been made for. That's why God gave us marriage. That we might get in tune with that longing. but so that, And that we might truly long for another person and live in loving relationship. And yet learn all the way along that really my longing is for Jesus and he's there and I will have him. Another way to say it, Christianity is like leaving a really bad, dysfunctional, abusive relationship for a really good one. Christianity is like marrying up. <clears throat> but here's what happens. You marry up and you realize you've got the best spouse on the planet. You've got the lover of the universe and you don't deserve it because all of a sudden you see something in your heart and you see that your heart is longing for the old girlfriend or the old boyfriend. And you keep going back. Because there's a dark spot in your heart and you just can't shake it. And yet when you come back to, to your lover, his love for you hasn't changed and it, 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 it makes you miserable. <laughs> you know, get mad at me. Beat me. Make me sleep on the couch. Push me out the door, divorce me, push it. That's what I deserve. But what would we get? We get love. We get a spouse who says, I know you and I love you. And guess what? In order for me to love you, I've had to absorb the guilt of all of your sin of cheating on me. Do you understand, dear friends, that the Christian life is about a relationship gone awry? Because one lover just doesn't understand how to love and he can't love. And you're that lover. Read the Old Testament. You know what What God compares Israel to? A whore. Oh, we can't use that kind of... It's because we haven't used that kind of language that we've started to think that we're better than that. And what the Bible tells us is we're not better than that. But Jesus loves his whore. You never rise beyond that. Nor do I this side of heaven. Jesus is wooing us back constantly through his forgiveness, through his mercy. And it's that love that changes us and humbles us. You see, Jesus came to a young couple poor. Broken economically. And in every other way. To show us that that's why he came to you too. Because you were just the same. You bring nothing to him. He brings everything to you. And the question this morning is, have you risen above that in your own heart and mind? Or is that your story? Do you see yourself as an unfaithful lover that just can't shake the lover of the universe? Who keeps wooing you back over and over? That keeps forgiving you and loving you and will take you home one day someday and put an end to all this mess. Is that your story this morning? I pray that it is. Because that's what Christ calls us into. It's not get yourself right so that he, so that you will look good enough for him to marry you. It's you could never do anything right enough to get that kind of love from that kind of lover. But all you must do is fall into it and receive it. Have you received it? Would you come to faith in Jesus this morning? If you've never done that before. Would you come again? If you need to come again. Because Jesus keeps loving. Through our affairs with sin. Through our idolatry. With whatever it is that we're looking to. Because that's the kind of God that he is. May we give ourselves to that Jesus this Christmas. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're that kind of lover. That you would take a sinner like me and call me to preach the gospel. It's ludicrous if the gospel's not true. And yet, Lord Jesus, I thank you that the gospel is true. It's on every page. We just make it something it's not. So Jesus, thank you. For your love. For sinners like us. For whores like us. For adulterers like us. Thank you. And I pray that you would move us deep into your love. That we might go love somebody else. Oh Lord Jesus. Empower us to love somebody else. Empower the direction of our lives. To go in the direction of loving other people. Oh I'm so bad at it. Help me to be better at it. As I drink in your love this morning. And do the same for your people here, we pray in jesus name amen let's respect.